I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. The FT. A new government facing old housing problems. What's the outlook for house building and house prices under full-strength Conservative rule? Brewdog, the maverick Scottish brewer, gets off to a flying start in its bid to raise £25 million from crowdfunding. And a changing of the guard at the pensions department. What does it mean for your retirement savings? Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's personal finance podcast. I'm James Pickford and I'll be giving you all the week's money news in downloadable form with the help of my FT colleagues Joe Cumbo and Judith Evans, plus a special studio guest, Liam Bailey of estate agency Knight Frank. After news came through early on Friday morning that David Cameron's Conservatives had won a majority in the general election, one almost immediate effect was a boost to the top end of the London housing market. Wealthy buyers who'd been holding back in fear of a Labour-led mansion tax or the end of a generous non-dom tax regime found, much to everyone's surprise, that neither of those threats were in any danger of coming to fruition. High-end estate agents saw a surge in inquiries as these buyers stole a march on what they anticipated would be a swift rise in prices. In the wider market, too, shares in house builders rose, as did the shares of property websites such as Rightmove and Zoopla. But looking beyond the short term, housing is set to be one of the thornier issues of this parliament as politicians grapple with problems that were widely acknowledged in the election campaign. How expensive it has become, how much less of it we have than we need, and how we can best go about building more of it, much more. Joining me in the studio today to talk through the issues is Liam Bailey, Head of Residential Research at estate agency Knight Frank. Thanks for coming in, Liam. First, going back to the top end, did you see a boost in activity or inquiries over the weekend, as, as others were reporting? And if so, do you think that will last? Are we, are we to expect a busy summer ahead in the London prime market? Well, to take your first point, there's no doubt we saw a an initial boost uh, in terms of inquiry levels from purchasers. I think there's been speculation about price rises on the back of the uh, election result. And I think it's probably important just to say that the the concern prior to the election, really across the board, London and UK, was um, the potential of a weak coalition government. The fact that you have a workable majority uh, obviously engenders some consumer confidence and so on. And I think the London housing market, as you've already touched on, uh, faced a couple of direct challenges um, from a potential Labour or Lib Dem win. 
uh, around mansion tax, maybe reform to non-DOM uh, changes. So the fact that there was an immediate boost to confidence um, on the, the wider housing market, I think, was to be expected. And I think that was probably most keenly felt in London. Um, but I think looking ahead, it's I think probably it's a bit more nuanced in terms of the outlook because it wasn't just purchasers who were holding off prior to the election. I think also vendors were waiting to see what the result would be. And I think our expectation is that you will see stock rising quite quickly uh, from here on. And actually, probably the biggest impact of the election result will be in terms of transaction volumes rising rather than price rises. Hmm. And just looking nationally at the picture, would you expect to see a rise in house prices um, in the UK more generally? Or is that hard to say? I think it's more likely you'll see price rises this year in the UK more generally. Uh, you know, the, the UK market lagged London by about three years um, during the recent upturn. And I think it's important to remember that prime London prices are probably, say, 30% higher than they were back in 2008, the previous peak, whereas in the UK they are still about 10% lower than the um, previous peak. So there's some room for sort of catch-up. And I think also the um, the biggest change we're expecting uh, around transaction up, uh, uptick is probably going to be felt in the uh, the wider UK market uh, over time. And I think actually when you think about, say, uh, political risk, um, I think there's certainly been commentators saying that actually now that you have a Conservative majority, political risk is off the table in terms of the prime London market. But I think it's worth remembering that actually things like non-DOM reform actually Everything that's happened in terms of non-DOM reform over the past uh, few years has come from a Conservative-led coalition. And why do we assume that that process has ended? My understanding, talking to uh, tax lawyers, actually, is it's still a live issue uh, for the Conservative Party. And I think also mansion tax may well be off the table, but I wouldn't be surprised, um, and this is just a hunch, I wouldn't be surprised if George Osborne didn't look at, say, council tax reform, probably something around maybe extra bands of, uh, of, of council tax over time. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, it's too early to sort of say that suddenly the, the London market is free of um, political risk uh, over time. Yes. And, and just thinking about the, uh, the thing that everyone, every politician mentioned during the election campaign, the imperative to build more houses and many more houses than we, than we currently do. Um, do you think that the the fact that we have a conservative majority now makes that uh, more realistic i think as you said all parties focused on house building and i think that the 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 new government are well aware that actually one of the biggest issues they will be judged on uh, in five years time will actually be did they increase delivery of housing particularly in the southeast and london and the conservatives talked about um, brownfield land releases uh, encouraging self-build etc Will they deliver a step change in delivery? It's quite difficult to see how they will with the current policies. Let's see what comes out in the Queen's speech. But I think they, they're they well aware that actually this is probably one of the most live issues that they've got to be seen to be delivering on. Given that many people say that one of the impediments to uh, building on the large scale is the planning system, do you think uh, this Conservative government is more or less likely to be able to... Um, uh, free that up. I think, in terms of planning reform, I think the um, the current the new government is probably as likely as any um, alternative government to actually deliver on on reform. The question really is actually how radical they're prepared to be. Um, they, the planning system has undergone a number of changes over the past 
five years. Um, some of them have, de- have delivered some uh, benefits in terms of um, new delivery, but there hasn't been a significant change. It's difficult to see at the moment anything truly radical coming through in this area. Thank you very much, Liam. You can read much more about the impact of the election on investment in this weekend's FT Money cover story. Still to come on the show, the Scottish brewer that has rejected traditional approaches to raising capital. How good a deal is it for investors? First, though, we'll stay with the election aftermath. The pensions industry is in the throes of its most radical transformation for nearly a century, as reforms came into effect last month, allowing people to cash in their pension pots from the age of 55 and doing away with the need for most to buy an annuity. Central to the design and execution of these measures was the Liberal Democrat MP Steve Webb, pensions minister in the coalition and an expert in the financing of retirement. Last week, however, he suffered the fate of so many senior and long-serving MPs in his party when he lost his seat in the Lib Dem wipeout. Industry concerns over the departure of such a key figure in the reforms appear to have been considerably assuaged by the choice of his replacement, the campaigner for older people and consumers, Ros Altman. Miss Altman has been a prominent voice on pension reform for many years and had been lined up to be the government's consumer champion from a seat in the Lords. But Mr Webb's surprise exit has brought her into the centre of policymaking as the industry finds itself in a state of flux. On her to-do list is not only the task of bedding down the annuity reforms, but bringing in the automatic enrolment of pensions to small businesses and changes to the state pension system. The FT's pensions correspondent, Joe Cumbo, is here to tell us what her appointment might mean for pensions policy and for your retirement savings. Joe, it's interesting that they haven't entrusted this role to an MP. They've brought in Ros Altman from the outside, who will join the government from a position in the Lords. Can you tell us um, about her background and experience and why they thought she was the right person for the job? What does the industry think of her? Right. Ros Altman, as you mentioned, she's not a career politician, but she has spent most of her career working to raise uh, the profile of issues affecting fairness, access to pensions, raising uh, the issues to do with financial education. And she'd be a familiar face to many people in this country on television and on radio. And indeed, she's been on a podcast talking about uh, those issues. Just to give you a bit of background, people might not know that she's actually an economist by training. She has actually worked in the city uh, running funds. So she has got quite a a wide experience, not just as an academic and talking about pensions, but managing the funds behind them as well. Um, Over the last few years, she's also been advising government. So she does have experience of working with Westminster. She's advised uh, Tony Blair uh, and the last government as the pension reforms were rolling out. So she does have that experience. And you noted that last year she was also appointed uh, older workers business champion. So she does bring to the role quite a raft of industry and political experience but it is going to be a new position for her and we can probably expect her to put her own stamp on on the role when she when she starts. Now the timing of her appointment is going to be pretty challenging in view of the fact that we are only five weeks into the new pension freedoms. What is she going to have to get to grips with in the short term? Right. I think one plus for Ros is that she has been involved in 
in the freedom. She was working as an advisor to government as they were preparing and drafting that legislation. And she was also a vocal critic. So she's very much in tune with how the history and the technicalities of the reforms and she's aware of where the issues are and the concerns are. So I think she'll be sort of quick to get on on top of the issues. But she does have a very, very big intray because it's not just the freedoms that are bedding down. She's got um, about seven to eight other portfolio areas that she has to cover, including auto-enrolment, state pensions. Now, that's going through a massive change in 2016. We've got the single tier. But you're right to point out it is a critical moment, not only with the freedoms bedding in, the pension freedoms, but state pension reform and auto-enrolment, that big project that Steve Webb, her predecessor, oversaw in 2012, is getting to a critical point where it has to roll out to uh, hundreds of thousands of small businesses and there are big worries about how they're going to manage and be compliant in meeting their duty to enrol staff on time. Do we have any sense, um, perhaps from what she's said in the past, of how she differs from Steve Webb on policy? She has. Uh, I was quite surprised, actually, because Ros has been speaking out of for a long time. She's a vocal critic. She hasn't held back on lots of things she agrees with, like the freedom reforms. She, she said there were great news. She's in tune with that. I don't expect to see any major changes to what the, uh, the, the bulk or the rump of what they've done and giving pe- people freedom to take cash instead of buying an annuity. That won't change. And I expect the policy uh, of cashing in the extension of freedoms to cashing in your annuities will also uh, be continue under um, while she's in, in uh, the head of the department because she supported it. A lot of people think it's controversial to extend um, the freedoms to allow people, pensioners, to sell their annuities, but she has been really in support of that. So I don't expect any changes there. But where there has been divergence uh, recently has been on a number of uh, areas. Firstly, and I think it's on drawdown charge caps now, uh, the the previous government has said that they wanted to let the market settle before they started uh, looking into whether there needed to be any interventions in this area. This is drawdown. People are not buying annuities anymore. That's because they don't have to. They're shifting their money into drawdown now. The concerns are that there are no price controls on this and that people are going to get ripped off. Now, this is in her zone. Before the election, she said that she fully agreed it was important to cap fees on drawdown products, but whether she goes ahead and, and and does that, uh, we'll have to wait and see. The other thing she's been uh, outspoken on is the lifetime allowance. Now, mm-hmm. that is the amount of money that you can amass in a pension over a lifetime and still qualify for tax relief. The coalition um, brought that down from $1.25 million to $1 million from 2016. Now, she said that that's wrong. She thinks that, that the lifetime allowance should be abolished. That's not really in her department. If she has any influence on Treasury, they might get her to uh, change, change their mind. She wants that abolished for define um, uh, contribution schemes, not uh, defined benefit. The other thing that she has been outspoken on um, is forcing pension companies to publish, uh, be more transparent about their charges and she wants them to publish their charges in pounds and pence so people can really compare what they're paying for. So those are the kind of things that I expect to be in her intray. Thanks very much, Joe. There's more about the new pensions landscape in this weekend's FT Money, available as part of the weekend FT on both Saturday and Sunday. You can read online at ft.com money or on tablets using the new FT web app. On to our final item for today. If you're someone who likes tried and tested models of investing, 
such as keeping your money in traditional managed equity funds with perhaps some exposure to bonds, then the maverick Scottish brewer Brewdog may not be one for you. This fast-growing company prides itself on taking a distinctive and sometimes eccentric approach to the making and marketing of its tipples, and has extended that philosophy into the way it chooses to raise capital. Instead of going to traditional markets to fund its expansion plans, Aberdeenshire-based Brewdog last month called on individual investors to put their money directly into the company through its own crowdfunding platform, the appropriately named Equity for Punks. Its target of £25 million raised some eyebrows since it was a world record for a crowdfunding target. Yet just three weeks in, it announced it had already raised £5 million. Brewdog has acquired an army of fans willing not only to drink its products, but to back its growth plans with their own money. So is it a one-off, or does it mark a sea change in the way companies use technology to raise capital without the assistance of the city? And are there risks for the unwary in this story of rapid growth? Judith Evans has been looking into Brewdog for FT Money. Judith, can you explain in more detail how Brewdog has set up this funding round and how it differs from normal fundraisings? Well, um, they are an unlisted company, but rather than doing what most of um, those companies do and look to venture capitalists or angel investors, they've opted for crowdfunding, um, which means going straight to the public. Um, there's quite a bit of this around these days, but not normally on the kind of scale that BrewDog are using it. Um, this is their fourth round. They already raised more than four million a couple of years ago. Um, now they've expanded it um, much further t- with this target of 25 million pounds. Um, they're also running the crowdfunding themselves, which is quite unusual. Um, most companies, when they do this, go for a platform like maybe Crowdcube or Cedars or Syndicate Room, um, whereas Brewdog are keeping control of the whole process themselves. Um, and so far, it looks as though investors are, are pretty happy to join in. Is that um, just out of Brewdog or are they part of a wider appetite for crowdfunding investments? Well, I think it's a bit of each. Um, Brewdog have been a really successful company since they started up um, back in 2007. Um, Really fast-growing brewery, but also crowdfunding is on the rise. Um, People put about £84 million in total into crowdfunding investments last year, and um, it looks as though that'll keep growing very fast this year. Um, So it's an interesting sign of how people enjoy engaging directly with a with a startup company and um, being part of its journey, hopefully to success, but but maybe to failure. Um, So if I put my money into Brewdog, can I watch the share price go up as with any normal investment and then withdraw it when I wish to take my profits? You actually can't. Um, This is the thing about equity crowdfunding. Because the companies are unlisted, you don't necessarily know what your stake is worth and you can't necessarily sell it. Um, Brewdog have, however, got a deal going with this company called Asset Match. So once a year they hold a trading day um, and you can try to sell your shares or if you want to buy some, you can try and buy some. Um, And that obviously provides interesting signals as well of, of how much the shares are now worth. But it's extremely different from a listed investment that you can buy or sell whenever you like. Does it carry the same sorts of protection in terms of um, regulatory protection that that other investments or conventional investments carry? It's not as protected, no. Um, They've had their prospectus approved by the UK Listing Authority, but that simply means that it's a prospectus, it ticks the boxes. Um, This isn't the type of investment that would be covered by the Financial Services Compensation Scheme. They're not using an FTA-regulated platform. And crowdfunding is pretty risky anyway, so it's basically the type of investment you shouldn't make unless you can afford to lose all your money in a worst-case scenario. 
So, um, some risks there then. But why do you think people are then so keen on investing in it? Well, I think there's a mixture of reasons. And this is one of the interesting things about crowdfunding, because for a lot of people, it's not just about the money. Um, As the analysts All Street pointed out, people enjoy being part of the journey of a company that's cutting edge, that's doing something new and different. Um, shareholders in BrewDog also get discount beer. So if you're a big drinker and you do your maths, you could perhaps figure out how to make your money back that way. Thanks very much, Judith. You can read more on the BrewDog pitch in this weekend's FT Money. And you can also get some hints about what a new Conservative government portends for investors as we convene a post-election roundtable at the FT involving some of the UK's top fund managers. We report on the outlook for property investment trusts, plus highlights from this week's Investors Chronicle and the latest from our regular columnists, Merrin Somerset-Webb, David Stevenson and the new FT Money editor, Claire Barrett. The Money Show will be back next week, but for now it's goodbye from me, Judith, Joe and our special studio guest, Liam Bailey of Knight Frank. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rustoleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustoleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.